everybody back to this Med Student Over Easy podcast. I'm your host, Andy Little, joined by my co-host for this segment, Molly Estes. Molly, thanks so much for hopping on. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have this conversation. So we have got two amazing guests that I'm going to let Molly introduce because she is way better at saying Alexis's name. I butcher it every time <laughs> I say it. So we'll let her go ahead and do that and then we'll get started. So today we have two very special guests joining us. We have Liz Worley as well as Alexis Plittier Bowie. They are experts when it comes to navigating the ARIS application and have been directly involved in some of the latest updates that are going into effect for this year. And so we're really pleased to have them here and be able to have this conversation to give you the insider trading info on all the tips and tricks you need to know for this application season. Why don't you each tell us just a little bit more about what you do at your individual institutions and the roles that you have with ARIS application stuff. So Alexis, you go first. Yeah, so as Molly said, I'm Alexis Pelletier-Bowie. I'm the Associate Program Director at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University, Cooper University Hospital. I'm also our EM subspecialty advisor here. And both Liz and I have been heavily involved in the Council of Residency Directors and Emergency Medicine Application Process Improvement Committee over the past few years. I'm a past chair. Liz is our current chair. And through our roles in that committee, we have been invited to be emergency medicines representatives to the ARIS Supplemental application working group and the new ARIS updates working group as well. And so it's through these roles that we come to you here today to give you some updates and some advice on applying. Hi, everybody. My name is Liz Worley, and I am the former program director at Penn State Health Hershey Medical Center. I'm still there as faculty. I've just taken a different role in the College of Medicine, but still very actively involved with our residency program as core faculty and with our students. We appreciate both of you hopping on because we're going to talk about new updates, but I want to go back and talk about the update for 2022, which is program signaling. So we did it last year. How did it go and how is it changing for next year? So I can take that one. As you mentioned, we implemented program signaling last year, and it was through the ERA supplemental application. We did not participate in the other two components as emergency medicine, which we will now be participating in more as implemented through the ARIS application. As far as program signaling goes, I think it really did serve the role and serve its purpose. So the whole goal of program signaling was to help applicants be seen at programs earlier on in the residency application process and help programs identify interested applicants earlier on in the process. As we know, the over-application phenomenon has been affecting every single specialty, including emergency medicine over the years. And that was the main goal of program signaling. It was never intended to affect the match. And as we know, EM has struggled for the past couple of years in the match. So I had no intent on fixing that. But for its intended purpose, I think it actually did a really great job. We have some survey results from both program directors and from applicants. We have interview yield results. And pretty soon, we'll also have some match results, even though, again, that wasn't the intended purpose. But from the survey results, it looks like it's been well-received by both applicants and programs, with about 70% of programs saying it helped them identify applicants that they would have otherwise overlooked. And and then as far as increasing interview yield for applicants, it actually doubled interview yield with the presence of a signal. So the median predicted probability of receiving an interview without a signal at programs was 32%. That went up to 63% with the presence of a signal. So our applicants are getting interviews at a higher yield at those programs where they are signaling. And again, that was the whole purpose is helping our applicants get those interviews and get identified early on as interested applicants. 
Now, last year, every student was allowed five signals, which seemed like a pretty nice average number compared with other specialties who also employ program signaling. Now, that's changed this upcoming year. Tell us a little bit more about that. So we chose five as a specialty, and it was very similar to numbers that were piloted when signaling first came to medical education. And it was pertaining to the ratio of applicants to available positions as well. The algorithm or the math had been done by Eris, and we, we have access to that. Five was a pretty round number. And we also determined as a specialty that we recommend two rotations, one home and one away, or two away rotations if you don't have a home program. And those have been traditionally high yield in terms of interview offers in the past. So they're kind of like freebies. So really it was five plus kind of sort of two. However, our approach and the approach of other specialties was kind of variable throughout the past year. And so the AAMC really asked all specialties to have a universal approach to home and away rotations, which is to recommend or advise applicants to just signal those programs that they want to signal independent, regardless of home or away rotation status. So with those two freebies from last year, plus the five original, that's how we got to seven for this year. Now, I do want to note, we're starting to see a much more variable approach. There are more specialties taking a tiered approach with gold and silver, differently weighted signals, or other specialties going with a large number of signals. So it's going to be really interesting to watch the data over the next year or so to see if seven is the right number for emergency medicine, or do we need to change our approach? So I just wanted to kind of boil down what Liz said to make it very clear for EM applicants that last year we advised five signals, but do not signal your home in a way this year that is universally changed for all specialties because it was very confusing for EM advisors, for advisors from medical schools with keeping up with different specialty recommendations. And so ERIS wants all specialties to have applicants signal programs that they're interested in, including home and away. So starting this year, Yes, signal your home and away if those are in your top seven. So seven signals, I signal the programs that I want to go to, period. No other factors considered. Exactly. I think adding that level of clarification is important because even advising students last year and then also interpreting to where we, some of the people who rotated with us gave us a signal, some that rotated with us did not give us a signal. So now it's really cut and dry. So that's great. So when we think about updates, after signaling, what else is new coming up for the 2023 application process for EM applicants? Well, I'll go with the geographic division preferences, which was part of the supplemental application last year and the year before that, but it is new to emergency medicine. And there's two components to the geographic preferences. Uh, There's the U.S. Census Division. So applicants can choose up to three U.S. Census Divisions or they can choose the option of not having a preference. And with each option, they can explain the reasoning behind it. So if there's an applicant who was born and raised on the West Coast, spent all of their life in California, but is suddenly applying to the Mid-Atlantic region, which you know I always questioned that when I was the PD, now they can explain that you know their parents are retiring and they want to move near family or their fiance's family is from that region. And those are all pieces of information that previously weren't on the application. There was just no way of knowing that. 
So the opportunity to explain the why or the reasoning behind it is huge. Applicants can also skip the question. About 10% of applicants did that last year with the supplemental application. The other component of the geographic preferences is that applicants can choose if they have a setting preference, whether it's rural, suburban, or urban. The majority of applicants did not have a setting preference last year. Those that did have a setting preference for urban, it ranged from like 5 to 32%, and a much smaller percentage of applicants preferred a rural region under 4%. And again, if applicants choose a setting preference, they get the opportunity to explain why their thought process behind it. But Dr. Worley, if I explain why I want one geographic setting, doesn't that mean that every other geographic setting is going to be able to see that I don't want them? Not at all. So that's the nice part. The way that ARIS is set up is very similar to what signaling looks like. If your program is not in the geographic division that was noted, then that program just sees a blank space on the application. If the applicant shows no geographic preference, that will show up to program. So that means they're just pretty much happy to go anywhere that they want in the country. And if they skip the question altogether, then there'll be a blank space there as well. So this is one of those opt-in options that allow the applicant to further explain their application choices, if I'm yes. looking at it that way. That's great. Because yeah. I think, again, somebody who practices in Florida... 10 years ago, nobody wanted to come to Florida because there are only seven programs, but now there's a bunch and Florida's great. And so now it's, why is this person from Washington applying to Florida? Because again, there's no room for that in the application and this allows them to finally explain that. I remember when I was applying and we called it the California Catch-22. You did your training in California. Nobody expected you to go outside of California. So if you legitimately wanted to, you were kind of a little up a creek. So this is hugely valuable to our applicants who truly are desiring a change in geographic location or to stay in a specific geographic location. Yeah, I'm looking forward to really seeing how this plays out for emergency medicine with this data and the reasoning behind it. The majority of all applicants using the supplemental application last year said it was really to be close to family and friends. That was their number one reasoning behind their geographic preferences. And I think some of the data behind the setting practice is actually re really reassuring to a lot of students. The fact that the majority of students do not have a preference, nor do they know in what setting they want to do their practice. And so to hear that the vast majority of people actually leave that section blank is very reassuring too. So what else do we have to look forward to? Uh, so the experience section is going to look vastly different as well. In the past, applicants could list a, any number of experiences that they wanted, up to 50, up to 100. Not that people really did that, but sometimes it felt like that as somebody reviewing applications. What Eris found was the average number of experiences that were listed was usually around 15, but it was really highly variable. And feedback from both programs and from applicants was that the way that the experiences section was currently set up, it didn't really allow programs or applicants to paint an accurate picture of themselves. A one-off event that took a few hours looked exactly the same as an event that was spanned over three years in the current way or the, the prior way that the ARIS application was set up. 
And so they really wanted to focus on holistic review and quality over quantity. And so the way that they did this is by limiting the number of experiences to 10 total. And then within those 10 total experiences, applicants can choose their top three most meaningful, which I think is also really beneficial. You can kind of help focus your review on what that applicant truly values and what they're truly about. The other parts that are changed in the experiences section is now there's also drop down menus. So applicants can choose a setting type, a key characteristic that they learned or developed from that experience, and a focus area. And so then programs can go in and filter based on their own values and missions to find a good match for those applicants that you know, may be a good fit for their particular program. Some of the other changes to the experiences section, there's now something called an impactful experiences essay. And so this allows applicants to describe any challenges or hardships that they had in their journey to medical school to residency. Previously, applicants felt like they had to put that in the personal statement, or there just was no place to put that at all, depending on what they wanted to focus on in their personal statement. And this really gives applicants programs really the ability to have another window into the applicant's life and their journey to residency. And so what do we mean by those impactful experiences. So what they're looking for are things that are really out of the ordinary, things that were, again, very challenging. So maybe you grew up in a family where you were a first-generation college student. You had lack of access to mentors or advisors. You grew up with some financial difficulties and you had to work during college or during medical school to help support your family. Perhaps you had a very sick family member that you had to take care of while you were working in medical school. Maybe you started your own family. Maybe you grew up with poverty, high crime rates, lack of access to medical care, all these extraordinary things that could have really impacted somebody's life. But previously, you had no place to put that in the ARIS application. So this part, though, is completely optional. And we want students to know that this does not apply to everybody. We don't expect all students to be filling this out. Again, it's extraordinary events. The vast majority of people will not have experienced these things, but for those who have, now they have a place to put that. Liz, any other additions? Yeah, I just really want to stress that part that it seems counterintuitive to not answer a question on an application, but this question is not intended by any means to be answered by all. So those, uh, I struggled to get into medical school. It took me one or two years to try. I failed the test or my score on the MCATs wasn't the greatest. That's not really the original intent behind this question. But say you fail a clerkship because your family member or you were in a horrible accident and you were hospitalized. That's a pretty extraordinary experience that a lot of applicants do not experience. So that's kind of more on the end of the spectrum that falls under the intent of the question. As somebody who reviews applications, I actually really enjoy this section because, well, through reviewing applications and then also wearing my other hat as a student advisor, we used to tell students, yeah, try to fit this into your personal statement somewhere to explain what went on in your life during, you know, this moment in time. And it never really fit in the personal statement very well. And so now to have a completely separate section to give people a chance to 
really detail out some of the things, some of the real life things that can happen to them, I think is really going to help out our students. I do want to mention one other change to the experiences section that I'm not particularly excited about. That's <laughs> the removal of hobbies from the application as it was in the past. And now students have to choose whether or not they're going to include that as one of their 10 experiences. I think that's probably one of the biggest complaints I've also heard from applicants. And now applicants are wondering, where do I fit that in? I would say for any applicant who's listening, if the hobby was something that you spend a lot of time in and really you know, devoted a lot of energy to it, certainly take up one of those spots. I think it's valuable to kind of include that to, again, paint an accurate picture of who you are. But for those things that maybe you just enjoy in your free time, but really haven't, you know, devoted as much time, maybe try to find a way to incorporate that either into your personal statement, into your misbe characteristics, or just leave it for the interview. Because in emergency medicine, we all want to know what you're interested in. We're all going to ask you about it anyway. So you'll have the opportunity to share those things. But when it comes to the experiences section, really try to focus on those things where you spend a lot of time and energy. You're building a brand for yourself. You know, have yes. a cohesive list of activities that truly detail out who you are as an individual. Exactly. And before, and before we move on from this topic, there is one other little detail about the character count for some of these descriptions. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah. So for each experience, you can describe your context roles and responsibilities, but that's now limited to 1,020 characters. Sounds like a lot. It's not a ton. It's characters, not words. And then for those top three most meaningful, you have an additional 300 characters to explain why those experiences were meaningful to you and what you may have learned from those experiences. And for context, 300 characters is about two to five sentences. So it's really not a ton of space, but at least for the actual description of the experiences, I think it is more than sufficient to describe what each experience entailed. Yeah. As someone who's reviewed a lot of applications over the last decade, I think it's it's one of those where, yes, there's a character count, but it's actually going to actually allow inter- applicant reviewers to actually like look at your application better. Because I don't know if anybody else in this call has had that problem where when I'm looking at experience 25, and the first three sentences are the same. This was holistic in the review of like, I just want brass tacks. What did you do? What was it about? I'd rather have 10 of those that paint a great picture than have 30 of them where you have this long paragraph that's flowery. And in the last sentence, you mentioned exactly what you did. And you're like, oh, could you just live with that? So I, I think there's a positive and a negative here. The negative <laughs> exactly. being you can no longer fluff up your, your application, but you're actually giving the application reviewer like the actual details they need to make a decision. So exactly. Yeah. That's the whole intent. And short attention spans in everything. And and (laughs) a lot of the changes this year are meant to ease the data input for the applicants and facilitate that holistic review for the programs. So a lot of the free text, open text box responses are going away and they can list up to five hometowns, but then they're going to list like zip codes and states and things like that. And they have the opportunity to put in the setting and other data for their experiences as well. So if an applicant's had seven different rural experiences and then they ha- they're they interested in a rural setting and their geopreps, it all kind of paints a certain picture of an applicant, but really the data entry for the applicant is meant to be smoothed over significantly compared to years past. And it's also supposed to help facilitate review for the programs. 
All of this is really phenomenal. I think that it sounds incredibly overwhelming, especially to all of the students out there who are thinking, great, I get to be a guinea pig yet again for new changes. I'm inclined to just kind of obliquely reference the fact that emergency medicine is a constant QI project and just kind of uh, go with that. But for our student listeners who are already frantically trying to scribble notes during the course of this segment, you don't have to worry. Like all this information and so much more is available in a couple of really major resources. So plug for the EMRA and CORD student advising guide, as well as the advising students committee supplemental application guide, which are both already fully published for this upcoming year. We'll include links to both of those documents in the show notes, and you can review those to your heart's content. Not only to have doctors Worley and Dr. like spent extraordinary amounts of time on these guides, but so have many, many other people who are major leaders in the field of medical education within emergency medicine. And we really have detailed out everything that you guys could possibly know in order to be successful in this upcoming match season. So I think Liz and Alexis, if you could each give us, what's the one tip you would give a student listening to this segment on the way they can best use the changes? to the application for this year? I would say be honest. If you are genuinely interested in a program and you want to be there, it, send them a signal. And if you don't have a geographic preference, those applicants did very well with the supplemental application match. So if you don't have a genuine geographic preference, but say you want to go into toxicology and you'll go anywhere in the country that has a strong tox background, that's the perfect opportunity to say so. Be honest about what your true interests are. Don't try to game the system. That's what I was going to say. Don't game the system. <laughs> Everybody is always thinking about how they can game the system and maximize their interview chances and chances of maxing out where they ultimately end up. And that is totally understandable. And from the advisor side, I totally get that. But at the same time, you can actually game the system to your disadvantage. So just always stay true, like Liz said, to what you actually want. Never make decisions solely because of strategy, always keep in the back of your mind, what do I actually want and make those decisions in that way? And then the other piece of advice more for the experiences section would be to really, again, just try to paint an accurate picture of yourself as an applicant with those new drop-down options for key characteristics, focus areas, choose from a wide breadth of different characteristics and different focus areas. That is going to paint a much more well-rounded applicant, which is what we want in emergency medicine. I'm not saying lie there, again, be true, but there are experiences where I'm sure it's taught you many different key characteristics. It covers many different focus areas. So really look at your 10 experiences, see which ones may fit best for each category and make sure it's really all-encompassing to paint the most accurate and well-rounded individual. Well, Alexis and Liz, we appreciate both of you hopping on for this segment. And again, we'll put some great resources that Molly mentioned in the show notes. And we look forward to this application process and knowing that next year, if you're a second year listening, we will bring them back for next year's updates. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for being here, you guys. Well, thanks for making it all the way to the end of that Med Student Over Easy episode. Don't forget, you can follow us on social media, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or head on over to our blog, emovereasy.com. 
Also, don't forget, we are the official podcast for the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians. You can learn more about this great organization by heading to acoap.org, where you can find about an upcoming CME event where you might get to see a few of your EM Over Easy hosts live and in person for a show. Until next time, thanks so much.